Data is the new oil. Data is the fuel, whereas AI is the engine. The engine and the performance of that engine is only as good as the gasoline you put into it. Looking at the advances made by OpenAI and, and Google and, and obviously Apple, feels a little bit like an arms race. Am I sort of capturing that correctly? Or is it really more of, you know, we're all in this together? Welcome to the Canopy IQ podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Greg Petrosian, Director of Sales at SkyPoint. Greg, it is great to have you here. What is it like to be working in what is literally the hottest field in technology right now? First off, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Adam, for this opportunity. Um, it's kind of surreal uh, to be here uh, on the edge of technology. You know, we made some great strategic bets, um, both with Microsoft and Databricks and some of our other vendor partners that really allowed us to meet the hype at the right time. Um, and so to be able to have this opportunity to talk about AI, again, is just surreal to me. And I love it. You know, I'm very passionate about data. I've been, you know, a data professional for now seven years. Uh, and every day, always wake up and just excited to be doing what I do. So how does one become a data professional? Out of curiosity, what, what was the career trajectory? You know, where did this sort of germinate for you? You know, that's a great question. I feel like if you ask 10 people in my field how they got there, a majority of them are going to say, you know, I, I didn't go to school for this, or there's some circuitous path where I found myself to be in data or technology. I think those that are just innately passionate about it find themselves here. And so for me, my background, of course, like any immigrant child parent wanted me to be a dentist, lawyer, doctor, you know, so I was on my path um, as a pre-med. And, you know, through that path, I was looking at, you know, I, I had a background becoming a medical scribe, you know, I was looking at working in different capacities in healthcare, went to grad school. And in my grad school, you know, found, uh, found out, oh, consulting's a thing. Oh, um, those that are working at the macro level uh, to be able to help actually bring down the cost of care and make care more valuable um, is is a career path at almost as fruitful as becoming a doctor. And I was like, this this is for me. Um, so I, I found myself working in the healthcare setting. Was working for a health insurance provider, and just kept finding places where getting to the data was so difficult. And all I had was a bunch of Excel worksheets. None of it made sense. And I just kind of fell in love with Excel. You know, I became the Excel gun at my organization and it was just history from there. Uh, started learning about data warehousing, started learning about data visualization, got more into data engineering and data science. And here we are today. So, you know, my two cents is for those that want to get into this field, kind of roll yourselves, roll your sleeves up and learn. And that's what, again, I think you'll hear from a majority of people in this field is kind of self-learned, self-taught. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say they fell in love with Excel. <laughs> but here we are. You got one right here. <laughs> that's terrific. No, I, I, hey, uh, pivot tables rule the world, right? They do. VLOOKUP. VLOOKUP is what started it all. Oh, very true. 
Yeah, there's a statement on your website that struck a chord with me, and it feels universal and, and prescient. It says, we recognize that the future belongs to those who can leverage data and AI effectively. Now, what struck me, and this is as a layman, I always thought of data uh, and AI as sort of the same thing. And by separating them and use, you know, utilizing the phrase leverage, I found myself kind of wondering what that meant. Can you elaborate on that? Clear that up for someone like myself? Yeah, I think the best analogy I can think of is data is the fuel, whereas AI is the engine and the output. A lot of people, you know, talk about the analogy of data is the new oil, right? Mm -hmm. And so the engine and the performance of that engine is only as good as the gasoline you put into it, right? We also hear this analogy a lot in the data world, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? right? And so I think what AI is doing for organizations is it's really emphasizing uh, or highlighting their areas that they were deficient in, such as having clean data, having systems that were able to collect the data that they needed to be able to either make decisions or you know, operate their business. Um, and AI is just making that more and more important every day, especially now with generative AI. Right. Um, you know, now that we have the ability to, you know, we have a tagline of chat with your data. The only way you're going to make generative AI trustable is by having clean data. And that's really what OpenAI did. It's not, it's not like there wasn't any other large language models and they were the first one on the block. They were actually the first one on the block to have the clean data to make it really functional and to, then to allow it to become something that could be a commercial product. How did your career at SkyPoint evolve? How did you get into the company? And, and I think conversely, a lot of young people, my kids included, are expressing interest in a career in AI. So I know we, we covered your love affair with Excel. It's a beautiful, beautiful tale of <laughs> romance and a little bit of intrigue. But where did the sort of the nexus start for you where, you know, you transitioned to a career. You said you've been working in analytics for quite some time. What's the story behind SkyPoint and, and your role in it? Great question. So I actually came via acquisition. I was part of a professional services company called CSG Pro. We were a boutique consulting firm here in Portland that focused on analytics and business intelligence. My time at CSG Pro is where I learned about concepts like data warehousing, self-service analytics, the ability to have a report that can slice and dice and the data infrastructure that are able to bring and tie different systems together. These are all the things I was doing you know, in my previous roles in healthcare. What I was saying is I was like the human ETL or data pipeline. I was you know, the human data visualization engine in Excel. And the more I learned about how those things I was doing kind of at a you know, lower capacity in Excel, th those are things you can automate with what we do in engineering and data warehousing. Now, when we were acquired, it was all about the vision of how do we reduce the cost of organizations being able to take that next step with their data infrastructure and actually have a place that they can bring their data together, tie that data together, 
and whether they want to visualize it or work with it with a generative AI agent. That's always been the hard part. And data warehousing has had an 80% failure rate. Imagine that. Now, my time at CSG Pro and to SkyPoint, we have had zero failed projects in data warehousing. And I will proudly say that because, you know, we don't boil the whole ocean. You know, we've got amazing, amazing consultants and developers here at our organization that are also equally as passionate about data. And that had, you know, a more remarkable impact on my career. You know, I never wanted to be in sales. You know, I, you know, now that I'm a sales director, you know, I really had a passion for being a developer. Um, but, you know, my, the president at the time, he said, I, you know, you're in these meetings and you're able to just spot opportunities. You know, customers love talking with you, ideating with you, whiteboarding with you. Have you thought about getting into sales? And for me, although I wear the sales hat, I tell customers all the time, you know, I'm really here to be your partner and find the best places where you can apply analytics or generative AI and actually get business value out of it. We're not here to build solutions for the sake of building solutions or you know, doing some technology project for the sake of it. If it's not actually making somebody's life easier, if it's not helping you get some valuable insight that you're going to make a big decision on, why are we investing in it? And I try and help weed those things out in the early parts of conversations when I'm talking to you know prospects or organizations that are wanting to lean in. Um, and it's been a great ride so far. I love hearing that. There is a quote that uh, struck me. It's from uh, Senior Living News. It says 83% of senior living executives believe data and AI will play an essential role in the industry within five years, just half a decade but only 12% actually have a plan to, uh, to onboard AI, to integrate their systems or that. Is, is that a catastrophe waiting to happen or is it, uh, is it a, is it a gold mine waiting to be uh, mined for lack of a better word? You know, honestly, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Hey, we want to do this thing, but we have no idea how to do it and we have no plan right. and we're just going to wild west you know, kind of throw ourselves at it, right? And, you know, I can always appreciate the enthusiasm and the confidence of organizations, but also when everything is hinging on the comp, uh, everything is hitting, hinging on how competitive your organization can be in the market and how the market is not very um, forgiving, I would say, right. for organizations that fall behind this isn't a type of thing I would say to just, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, right? This is your data we're talking about. This is the future of your organization. And I see it too many times an organization says, you know what, we're going to try and do this ourselves. Um, we're going to figure it out. And then within six months, they're calling me back and saying, okay, we screwed up. You know, we waved the white flag, help us, help us get started, help us do it right. The first time rather than the 10th time. So, you know, I'm hoping more organizations are willing to do that planning piece up front. And it's all about what are you trying to achieve and what are the business cases? Because if you don't do that, then we're kind of throwing darts at a dartboard with a blindfold on and you're building infrastructure and solutions that don't actually get you to the, you know, to the next rung of sophistication. 
On that point, and I want to reference your website again, there's a tutorial of sorts. I guess it's a call to action. It talks about the platform. It says specifically, the SkyPoint AI platform consolidates fragmented data, enabling you to chat with your data sources grounded in context. I'm going to once again ask you to explain that in layman's terms. All right. Probably the hardest question, right? Like, how do we take this crazy thing we call generative AI and kind of break it down? Well, first, I'll start with what we're doing at SkyPoint. And what we're doing at SkyPoint is bringing industry context to this generative AI agent. Um, now, how do we do that and what does that really mean? Think of using ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a commercially available agent that has very general knowledge, a lot of knowledge of a lot of things, you know, pretty wide as it is deep. Now, if you take a generic AI agent and you say, okay, well, do you know my business? Do you know how we run things? Um, do you know the difference between skilled nursing facility and Sunday night football? It might, you know, need a little bit more context to get the exact right answer for you. And so what we've done is we have brought what we call a corpus of knowledge. Think of it like a library, libraries of knowledge. We've reduced that library of knowledge down to the most pertinent facts and, and policies and history around senior care and senior living and augment that generic knowledge. Then what we do in, in addition to augmenting it with that generic knowledge is we bring the business context of the organization along. And what I mean by that is the data systems, the, the policies, the procedures of the business. That AI agent needs a way to access that. And to access that, you must either create data structures or you must provide documents, images, you know, different types of files in a consumable format for that AI agent to be able to respond to your questions in a reliable and consistent manner. How'd I do? Great. Great. I'm still going to need time to decipher all this. And I think one of the things that strikes me is I've really tried hard to digest sort of the daily news. Uh, feed on on developments in the platform. Been reading up on Gemini. Obviously, that's a big announcement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where where do you see this all going in terms of not just corporate governance, but government oversight and regulation? Obviously, the healthcare industry is particularly uh, sensitive to to data, HIPAA compliance, and so forth. What are the risks and what are the best ways to mitigate those risks? Because it does seem like everything is happening at such a breakneck speed. And the, you know, the, the software is developing at what appears to be an exponential rate. Like it's almost writing itself. Where, where are we headed in this, mm -hmm. this very sensitive topic? You know, it's so funny. I feel like both healthcare and the government are two steps behind. I mean, just recently, uh, the healthcare, um, the healthcare overlords had just pushed out the need for fire and fire-based APIs and capabilities as ways of like integrating data between systems caused everybody to spend all this money to stand up these fire APIs. And, you know, we've kind of already moved on from APIs, right? Like we've kind of moved more to the metal of data and data sharing and, you know, and privacy and, and, and the, the compliance factors 
I think, are still trying to catch up with the modern technology, right? At first, okay, like how do we programmatically keep, uh, you know, a patient's data secure via an API? Now it's how do we programmatically keep patient's data secure, you know, in an AI agent, you know? Um, So we're going to need policies. We're going to need to understand uh, how organizations are going to um, best abide by whatever you know the ruling bodies are going to bring to the table but i think overall you know and what we're doing is the same types of ways that we have controlled and secured data in the past and just more traditional matters it's still the same way we're doing it today you know you think of role based access or access uh, access based security it's the same thing you do with generative AI. Based on who I am in the organization, where I report to geographically, where I am, make sure you're filtering all the data and the prompt answers that I have to only what I should be able to see and speak to, right? And again, that emphasizes the need of organizations to have secured their data more upstream, you know, whether it's at the data warehouse level or, you know, having a uh, a global data governance program, things that organizations were just starting to lean into, right? So as organizations are, you know, investing in their technology, so much is changing. And it kind of, you know, part of me feels bad, right? It's like, well, you just finished building this thing and we've already moved on from that. So I think the speed and agility is really important in the technology space. And I think that's also why it's really important to work with partners that can keep up with the pace, whereas most organizations just really focused on their core competency and technology becomes like an outlier of that. Um, But I think I answered your question uh, around the security piece. Yeah, absolutely. I was curious about a comment you made, which is moving beyond APIs. That's new to me. Yeah. And so I was just having the same talk earlier this week. Um, There was this company that is trying to integrate and, and create a platform for data and it's going to be, everything is going to be provided through an API. Now that's great if you're building an application, but now as data is becoming the new oil and we need really easy ways for providing handshakes between organizations to share data, data sharing capabilities that have become in vogue through um, technology companies like Snowflake and Databricks I really believe that's the future. You know, we're starting to see the technology space standardize around type uh, formats of data. Delta format, we're seeing now iceberg format uh, get embraced. And because of these open data formats allows for data to be more freely passed between organizations with all the security and compliance coming along with it. And that is, I think, the big leap that we're making is where no longer is data kind of locked up between vendors and different clouds and different systems. There truly is going to be kind of that standardized layer that data can be passed around with, with context, with structure and security altogether. Uh, so fascinating. And it, it, it makes me think about a conversation I had uh, earlier this week with a partner of ours. And sort of the reference to to data being the, you know, uh, oil or gold or whatever other commodity you want to ascribe to it, I think strikes a chord. For us in the uh, 
advertising industry, you know, the hot topic right now is behavior analytics, predictive marketing, and audience segmentation, all of it based on data streams and crunching those numbers and, and slicing and dicing audiences. And it kind of takes on at times sort of sitting in on these calls, it, it, not to sound paranoid, but it can take on a slightly sinister overtone. Now, I don't think that way. I fully embrace technology. I always have, no matter what it is. I, I'm always eager to learn about it, to onboard new products and services and what, uh, you know, uh, and basically whatever's out of the box that's interesting and can make us more effective, uh, I'm fascinated by. And, and I'm always going to uh, take a cautiously optimistic uh, perspective here. But I guess what I'm getting at is, and this may fall slightly out of your wheelhouse, but I know that you're working across industries and meeting uh, quite uh, a, a diverse array of characters. That must be fascinating in and of itself. But where do you see that aspect of modeling going in terms of where human behavior is actually, you know, we're going to predict outcomes and we're going to be able to start modeling solutions based on predicting exactly what is going to transpire based on, I suppose, averages and, and data flows and so forth. Yeah. You know, I think what generative AI is doing is helping us bring down the cost, the time, the effort of being able to build predictive models. Right. And so what you're describing is based on a number of inputs, can you predict an output? And that's what traditional AI has been really focused on, right? Hey, I've got this device and what is the probability of this part breaking so we can go proactively fix it, right? Or, hey, I see a consumer, they've clicked on this link and they've looked at this item. The probability of them buying is pretty high. Why don't we send them a coupon, right? That traditional AI has been so expensive and so sophisticated to do, it's been out of reach for a lot of organizations. And now what we're seeing generative AI help with, and one of the first use cases that were commercialized um, was helping developers write code, right? And helping developers write code better, stronger, faster. Now, as that becomes... As that use case becomes more sophisticated and we think of, well, if generative AI is able to write really efficient SQL to help query a system, uh, can generative AI help me build some machine learning models or help me point in the direction of the type of models that we should be building? Or, hey, maybe it's looking at and finding patterns that we never would have seen because of it, been billions of manipulations that uh, AI can make. It can It can help us get to that point of, finding opportunities for traditional AI faster. Now, I think we're getting closer to there, but right now a lot of what organizations are still grappling with is how do we use generative AI for the more simpler use cases like, oh, I never actually invested in building you know, a warehouse or reporting or um, being an easy way to get to certain documents. You help, generative AI is helping us leapfrog to that point. It's helping us focus on what I call eating your vegetables, your data governance program and keeping your data clean right before you get the dessert of the insights. Um, but we're going to see more traditional AI, um, you know, just more quickly and cheaply be built. And I think be part of our daily lives. The one caveat I want to mention though, is I always talk about how I believe traditional AI has been deployed 
in ways and that has caused impact for individuals. Like you think about, um, you know, credit scores. There was AI models that were impacting people's lives that had innate bias in it, and it was going largely unchecked. And so these AI models are kind of a black box, right? What's really cool about generative AI is, okay, although you can't see its brain thinking, you can see why it did something or how it did something, right? And so with traditional AI, these black box solutions, where I'm hoping what we can see is some means of being able to tease out why they're making certain predictions. You know, you can kind of read the writing as to how, you know, an AI agent has built a certain model and the why kind of starts helping you give some understanding as to where there could be bias built in or, you know, where the data could be deficient. Uh, I think that's where we're going to see a golden era, not only of generative AI, but also traditional AI. That's a fascinating topic. I had the good fortune of interviewing Chris Hempel um, fairly recently. He's uh, working with a company called Wobot, and essentially they've designed a companion, so AI-powered chatbot, that really helps you navigate, you know, emotional challenges and what and 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 that kind of thing. Uh, and it does it using large language model. Obviously, it'll never replace a human being, but the progress they're making rapidly is is pretty staggering. And it sort of opens up this whole other topic, which is you know the subjects of trust from a provider perspective. So many people that I talk to who are familiar with some of these products and they're, they're concerned because they feel on one hand, this is a computer algorithm interpreting data and sort of spitting out a prognosis or, or advice. Conversely, they're worried that it's going to become too intelligent, too human-like. And then the sort of the genie is out of uh, the bottle. I know that's a complex topic, but what I, I wanted to pivot quickly sort of this idea of a governing body that has oversight over global platforms. And I think looking at the advances made by OpenAI and, and Google and, and obviously Apple, it feels a little bit like an arms race. Am I missing that? Am I, am I sort of capturing that correctly? Or is it really more of, um, you know, we're all in this together? Let me, so I'm going to start first by your comment saying, you know, we're all afraid that the AI is going to get so smart so fast, right? And for me, who works in it every day, although it can pass the Turing test and and seem like it can speak to us really eloquently, still pretty dumb, right? And it, it's not like it's coding itself. We're doing a lot of human work to make even pretty simple use cases somewhat consistent and productive, right? And so I think there's a lot of sensational, sensationalized news out there about generative AI. I think a lot of people get scared when you see something that can speak so naturally, get something right, right? Like it, that's scary. But again, it's still patterns and data on the back end. Now, a comment I've heard from somebody, you know, I was on a panel earlier and they were they were mentioning like, well, what happens when AI can be intuitive, and you know it can start doing things maliciously? I'm like, AI's 
not a human first and it can't into it, but it can infer, you know, everything's a pattern and it can go through and like realize patterns. And yeah, maybe it can figure out elementary arithmetic, but that doesn't mean it's going to all of a sudden become sentient and be like, oh, I want to be a doctor today and like go, you know, plug away at the internet and, you know, do something malicious. So I think let's not get too sensationalized around where we are today. I do agree with you where it does believe like it's an arms race, right? It is an arms race for whose models get commercialized, right? Because that's really what these cloud and technology vendors want. I want to have the best model that everybody's going to go build their product on. You know, like we have components of ChatGPT, right? Because it's the best, right? It's, it's what we were able to just very quickly glom onto and build, you know, anchors around and build um, products with, you know, everybody wants to be that foundation and wants, you know, value creation companies like myself on top of their stack. Uh, cause that's how they get paid. Right now, a governing body. I mean, we absolutely need a governing body, but I also think we need a governing body that understands the difference between the sensationalized news and, you know, what, is happening behind the curtains. And I think that takes technology leaders who are leaning into and keeping up to pace with what's going on with AI. You know, what is what are the type of breakthroughs that we should take a pause button on? And what type of breakthroughs are really just, uh, I would say, kind of a trick, right? It's almost like we're being fooled by the po- how poetic you know, ChatGPT can be. But then when you start trying to feed your data into it, everything starts breaking down real fast, right? Um, So I think we do have still a long ways to go with AI. We're nowhere near, um, I think, some of the doomsdayers believe we are. But it's definitely going to change the landscape. And I think that's what people are afraid of. How does this change my day-to-day? How does it change the way I work? And when something is being introduced that hits on those notes, yeah, we're scared, right? Um, but what I tell people is those that are going to be embracing AI, those that are going to be embracing productivity tools are all the ways, always the one that you know ends up on top or getting the job, right? Rather than me being at an organization in the past, and like, I'm never going to learn Excel. I'm just going to do everything in a Word doc or I'm just going to do everything by hand on a piece of paper. Obviously, somebody's going to do it better than better than me and you know I'm going to get replaced, right? And so these are enabling technologies for humans. They're not replacing humans. The term co-pilot, not pilot, right? I mean, today we see people, we see co-pilots in the aviation space, but they're not the ones flying the plane, right? That AI isn't smart enough to do all of that. Um, yes, my Tesla can drive itself, but there's certain things that I as a human can intuit or I can see a crash coming or, hey, it thinks one thing is another and I can take over, right? And just like I was talking about those black box AI applications, we need a human in the middle. We always will. Um, And so even I as a, a leader in the AI and data space am very much a proponent of making sure there's a human in the driver's seat. I feel a little better. Thank you, Greg. (laughs) Just doing my job. 
<laughs> okay, final question on the on the subject of uh, uh, productivity, which is always uh, near and dear to my heart. Can you share some podcasts, some literature, some newsletters that our audience might be interested in? And obviously, um, this podcast runs the gamut. We have everybody from you know CTOs, senior technologists to marketing folks, a lot of people in senior living, obviously. Um, I haven't met a single human being who's not fascinated by the subject, uh, both in terms of um, engagement and interest in the possibilities and, and obviously concern about replaceability, their job security, and, and the overall future. So could you hit us with your, say, t- top three to five resources? Funny enough, my favorite resource is this new le- newsletter called Superhuman. Uh, it's very much focused on everything that's happening with AI, the, the news. You know, it consolidates what's happening in the news. It also helps point you towards different ways of leveraging generative AI in your day-to-day. It's a great newsletter. Other sources, you know, for me, I'm so much in the Microsoft camp. You know, I'm just consuming so much information from Microsoft and from other uh, vendors like Databricks. You know, it's uh, funny enough, I get that a lot from Twitter. You know, I follow a lot of thought leaders. I follow product owners and developers on Twitter. And that's my best news source, funny enough. Well, I guess it's not Twitter. It's X now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the right name. You don't want to... You don't want to piss off. I still people. search Twitter on my phone and nothing comes up. Like, what the heck did I do? Oh, it's X. Yeah. I guess, you know, even for me, always being on the bleeding edge, there's some things I don't want to let go of. Right. Um, other, you know, other great resources, you know, shameless plug, our blog, you know, our YouTube uh, at Skypoint, I think it's something that is worth um, subscribing to. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think you're going to get everything from Superhuman. And you're just going to have a one-stop shop. So let me make it easy for you. There you go. Yeah, I've actually subscribed to that newsletter fairly recently. And uh, it hits my inbox pretty early in the morning. I love the layout. And uh, it's perfect for someone like myself who's, you know, I'm new to the uh, AI frontier. Hey, Greg, I want to thank you for spending time with us. I happen to know firsthand that you're a very busy guy. Uh, You're making the... uh, you're making the circuit. You're a sought-after speaker. That was fascinating Thank stuff. You. And yeah, I'd love to have you back and 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 uh, really hear about how you're evolving at SkyPoint and what's uh, what's new on the horizons. Appreciate that very much. Thank you so much, Adam. And look forward to the next time we talk. And hopefully, at that point, our AI overlords haven't taken over. And I was completely wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Canopy IQ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also check out previous episodes, which cover a wide range of subject matter, including AI, digital advertising, branding, age tech, and much, much more. For additional insights and updates, please visit our website at canopyandco.com. That's C-A-N-O-P-Y-A-D-C-O.com. Until next time, this is Adam signing off. Canopy's predictive analytics offers next-level audience targeting. By analyzing past behavior, this tool can predict future actions. It uses data to anticipate customer needs, enabling businesses to craft personalized campaigns. Experience the power of predictive analytics at canopyadco.com.